Hey everybody, welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast, and it is good to have Greg Barnes on this one. And um, you're in for a treat because like everybody else, he has a unique thumbprint and his story is unique as well. So before we dive into his story, Greg, here's the deal. You and Catherine are at the Middle C Jazz Club in beautiful uptown Charlotte enjoying some live jazz and you've just concluded intermission you're you're making your way back to your seats and somebody is talking about you because they had seen you and they're talking about you but they don't realize that you're within earshot what is it that you would like to have them say about you greg uh, i love to hear them say that that greg barnes is a stand-up guy he's a he's a guy of value um, he's, he is successful, but he's not driven by success. Value is my driving point. I feel as if I add value to someone else, then the success will come to me. So it's always about giving first, and then it'll come back to you, right? Yes, I'd love to that, hear that. That's a beautiful thing, and that has been true to every interaction that I've had with you, Greg. Yeah. Well, perfect. Let's Let's jump right in, and I want to give everybody a quick background, and then we'll get right into the actual uh, the actual questions from here. So, Greg has been a small business owner for over twenty years, and we were talking prior to uh, um, recording that you've got you've had six businesses prior to what you're doing now, right, Greg? And including four of those, you were able to actually sell. And now, Greg's the president of Transworld Business Advisors for Charlotte Downtown. So, Greg, I appreciate you coming on. I'm, I'm excited to dig into, uh, into your story a little bit. I want to take you back to leaving college. What was the vision for your career right at that foundational or pivotal point in your life? Oh, man, it was, uh, I can remember it like yesterday because we have an interesting story. So, me and my wife graduated college and had our first son the same month. So, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. So, 22-year-old kid, uh, your father. So, the first thing was uh, getting a job and putting food on the table. But I've always had the entrepreneurial spirit. And uh, so, I did take a job doing logistics for a trucking company. But as soon as I bought a house, we got married, bought a house. I quit the job and I bought uh my first tow trucks, I started my business. I bought a tow truck on a credit card for, they gave me a $10,000 cash advance. I went and bought a tow truck. So I worked at the trucking company doing logistics at night and I drove the tow truck during the day. So uh, my wife called my parents and said, your son's lost his mind. And uh, but six months later, I quit the job and continued to buy tow trucks. So it just took off from there. And, and I sold that business, uh, uh, 14 years later, and I had eight tow trucks when I sold it. So, so it was just one of those things, journeys you stepped out on. So it's amazing for you to take a leap like that so early with so many things going on, right? Mm-hmm. Married, have a new kid, bought a house, and you take that that type of of jump or leap that that has that faith that you're going to be able to succeed. So, where did that? come from? Because a lot of people will talk all the time about wanting to make some sort of change, but never act on it. And you were the complete opposite. So where did that come from? Oh, it definitely come from my great grandfather. Uh, my great grandfather 
Um, when I was born in 1973, he was 80 years old. He was born in like 1894, and he passed in uh, 1996. So when I, I was born, I didn't go to summer camps. I went to my grandfather's house that was next door, and I grew up around this guy that's 80 some years old, but he always worked for himself. He had a logging business. Um, he, he told me he started his own business in like 1947, which is unheard of. <laughs> right? um, so it was just unreal and surreal to grow up around this guy every day. And that's who I spent the summer with. So he taught me about hard work and working for yourself and a penny saves, a penny earned. And, you know, just some of these old timey sayings. So I was always mature for my age. And I always wanted to have my own business, my own my own thing, right? My own, do it my way and mm -hmm. uh, do it different. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And and if you're growing up around that, it's, it's a little bit easier, right? So yeah. one of the things that, that I'm interested in is the progression of your career. So you go starting with going and purchasing a tow truck on a credit card cash advance <laughs> to then being able to have eight and other businesses and things like that and selling it. So as you progressed, how did you find what you enjoyed doing and what you didn't? Yes, that, that's uh, that was took a while to kind of figure out what I enjoyed doing. But as I mentioned earlier, the value piece, mm -hmm. the thing that I enjoyed about it is, is when I started to grow that tow truck business, I remember the first guy I hired, right? I remember him and his family. And I remember that, that we had to make ends meet this week so he could take care of his family. And his, so as it grew, my family grew. So whenever I sold the business, I had 12 employees. So I had 12 families that I had to take care of. So it was just that passion of not just growing for myself, but helping somebody else grow and succeed. I think that's the main thing that drew me to entrepreneurship more than anything else was to, to add value in the, in, the, in the passion that I had for other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. makes a lot of sense. And, and it's one thing to have that in your mind. Like you said, you grew up with it. You, you knew you wanted to, to be your own boss, do things your own way. But to have that in your mind versus actually executing it, it's, it's night and day, right? So it, it does take a while for people to be able to figure out yes. what parts of business they like, what's most important, what actually drives and motivates them. So mm -hmm. you're, you're, you've got such a long background in small business ownership. And now you're on almost kind of the other side of it, right? You're, you're advising and supporting business owners or people who are trying to become business owners. Yes, sir. What are some of the things that you learned as an owner that has now translated to actually helping people buy and sell businesses? The first thing is it's all about the organization and how well you structure it, right? So your financials. My mother was an accountant by trade. So financials was always major in our house. If it didn't, she used to say, uh, men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. <laughs> so, so you always take care of your numbers, but also the trends. And I think that, that one thing that I always liked was the market, loving and having a passion for whatever market industry you're in and keeping up with those trends is really key to that success. So I would tell someone as they move into their entrepreneurship stage that to not just look at the financial piece, which you do need to do the accounting and, and the financials, but how's your operations run? How's your team? How, how is your team satisfied? Are they, do they dread to come to work or do they love to come to work? 
So I think those are some of the key points that, that I gravitated to, and I wanted it to be a smooth operation that we ran, and I try to always run a, a smooth operation, whatever I'm doing. So Greg, I, I've got a question, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up just a little bit, dovetails into what you're doing with Trans World Business Advisors, and that is, you said you've uh, run six businesses, you've sold four, and you said that uh, two of them didn't go so well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember how you said it. <laughs> they destroyed. <laughs> like Battleship, ooh, I suck your Battleship, right? <laughs> so you destroyed two. Um, but what, and, and listen, that is never a laughing matter, especially yeah, yeah. when you're in it. Looking back, you can, you can laugh or you're going to cry. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, but what I love about that, I'd like to have you unwind that a little bit more give us a little bit more of a taste of some of the the other companies that you were able to sell and a couple of the ones that as you said you destroyed it's usually not one person destroying it but nonetheless that perspective really helps somebody who's looking to buy a business um, they may have left corporate America they may have always wanted to do this and just never did or they're just ready to do it whether they're younger or on the older side talk to us a little bit more about some of those other ones lessons learned like you know brief lessons learned and how that translates into help how you help somebody else that's looking to either buy or sell a business but especially buy yeah so uh the, the way it worked out for me was as i mentioned earlier i started a tow truck business and then by being in tow truck business you end up getting a lot of cars that come in and you're storing these cars. People don't come pick them up. So, so you end up getting into, okay, what do I do with these cars? I can scrap the car. I can strip the car. I can sell the car. So we got into selling a lot of cars. And um, so the state sent me a, a letter said, you're selling too many cars without being a car dealer. So we, I virtually got rolled into owning a used car dealership just like that. <laughs> That went very well. That went very well. And we did uh, very good with that business. That was one of the other businesses that I sold. But what I led off of that was I got into this, this eBay thing hit, right? I don't know if y'all remember that eBay, sell on eBay. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to get into eBay and I'm going to get into stripping cars and selling parts. But little did I know that you need acres and acres of land to store all these cars right to do this so i tried to get into that and i and i really bombed it just because it was one of those things that i thought i could do this but i didn't have the capital it was one of those businesses that you really have to have a lot of capital to get into but i was just oh, i can do anything i can make it happen i'm you know everything's been going well but that's the one that probably was if I'd have went to, if, if, if I had to do it over, I'd have pitched it to partners. Things that I've learned from that is to go after some other partners or some work with somebody else strategically. But that was really could have been a gold mine and been a great business, but I couldn't do it alone. And at that age, I didn't, I thought I could do everything alone. So I, I would say the number one thing is to make sure that you're not trying to do everything by yourself. And that's what I had to learn the hard way is to put the right team around you and look at look at things from a different approach. But I really, really, that was a really great business model. And there's there's guys that started out when I when I got into it and, tr and they, they have families, they have teams, and they've been real successful. And um, 
And some of them, when I drive by, I'm going, wow, man, that was, uh, that was the one that I blew, you know, that I think that could have really been major. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just dovetail into that. I've seen that more often than not with young entrepreneurs, not always just young, but have a big exit one or even maybe two times, but usually even after one where I call it the Midas touch, where they think, hey, everything I touch is... Yes, yes, yes. And that's not necessarily true. <laughs> and uh, so I, I think you said something really, really important, which is... Uh, one, humility and understanding, I, I, I don't know everything, and just because I had success one time doesn't guarantee success going forward, but secondly, is like, have the right team around you, understand your strengths and your weaknesses, especially if you're going to do something that requires a lot of capital. Yes, definitely. Totally agree there. I'm, that was the biggest mistake I've probably ever made, but I learned more from that mistake than anything else. One thing I do want to say is, as an entrepreneur, you got to take shots. I'm, I'm the guy that takes 10 shots and hits three. So, but I'm happy with that because I learned so much from those seven misses, right? I learned way more than if I only took three layups or take 10 three-pointers and hit three. I'd rather shoot the three-pointers. There's more reward. And then I learned from the shots I miss, right? So that's one thing as an entrepreneur we have to realize. A lot of people, they'll – They'll study, 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 or prepare, plan, 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 but then we have to execute sooner or later. So uh, don't be afraid to fall. Don't be, just dust yourself off, but just know that you are going to fail. That's, that's kind of my point of view. So you had already shared one um, lesson from that shot missed, right, of not doing everything yourself. Yes. What, what are one or two more that there were shots you took that you missed, but you were able to take a lesson away. What were those lessons for you? Oh, the other lesson would be to, to spend more time researching your next move, right? So, so when, it, when I missed that one with the parts business, reselling used parts, I didn't really plan it. I just seen other people successful. So I just seen them and I tried to jump into it. Now, when I purchased Transworld, I started looking at it in February of 15. I didn't open until November of 15, right? So I took seven, I mean, nine months that I looked at this and made sure this was the right move. And that's one thing I've learned is that to slow that timetable down, right? As a, as a buyer or taking on a new adventure, you do want to slow your timetable down. You don't want to just plan, plan, plan and not execute. You do have a timetable, but you can slow it down because it, by waiting just a month or two months, you might pick up so much more information that's going to assist you when you do open that door. So, so I, when I did say plan, 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 I don't spend years planning, but, but take time to plan it and then yeah. make sure you execute. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the balance between the people who impulsively act and the yeah. people who get stuck planning for five years and never do anything. Yes, there yeah. you go, there you go, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's start moving into Transworld a little bit because there's a ton I want to dig into. Okay. So at let's go to the beginning of it of really just what led you to getting into business brokerage, helping people buy and sell businesses. Yeah. So the, the, the what really helped me to get in, I was trying to find 
something that fit my mold, right? What, what fits Greg's mold as an entrepreneur? At, uh, I've had six businesses and I'm 42 years old, right? So I'm 25 when I start. So my mind don't click like everyone else's. I, I like the, the hustle of the day. I like to have a different day every day. And business brokers, exactly, that's what it brings you. I get to meet so many different business owners over so many different industries. And you just start picking up little nuggets that might not be relevant to other people, but I think it's mind blowing. So for instance, I'm selling a commercial cleaning business. I know commercial cleaning businesses over the last 40 years sold at an average of 63% of their revenue. Over the last 40 years, most people say, what difference does that make? <laughs> but it's just cool to know all this knowledge. And so I feel like brokerage really helped me to balance myself, not only just with business, but in my life too, because it gives me everything I need and I feed off of. It gives me the financials. It gives me the relationships, meeting all kind of people, great people like Gary and business owners and CPAs. And, and it's just a beautiful thing. And if you structure it, you know, I have an admin that handles this. Like Gary talked about getting that team together. So I've got teams that do the things I don't want to do, that, that, I, that I'm not great at, right? It's my weaknesses. And I get to do the things I love, which is meeting business owners and learn about all different kind of businesses and industries and tactics and skills. It's just, it's beautiful, man. I mean, it's so beautiful. I love that curiosity about you and that kind of, I would say it is a, an intellectual curiosity that you find. And I've seen this in you where you, you find people interesting, but you also like learning the processes and the nuances of various companies and industries, which I, you know, is another hallmark, I think, of very successful business owners that I've dealt with in my career. They have this curiosity that doesn't end until they breathe their last breath. Yes, yes, I totally agree with you. And that's a, that's another reason I got into business brokers. I, I, I told my wife I could do this business until I'm horizontal, right? <laughs> so, so that's another reason I got into it is that it's one of those businesses that that age really helps you. The guy that walks in this. At 65 years old, they're like, oh, well, he's got to be old and wise because he's, he's been through some things. So as, as you grow in age and business brokerage, you're actually become more of an authority in the industry. So like I've been doing it for five years and I'm a puppy compared to these, some of these guys. Right? And um, I, I love the mentorship part of it. Just, just talking with other business brokers that are, that are more experienced than I am. I mean, just some of the stories they tell and some of the industries and businesses they've sold, like patents. I mean, I, I know a guy that sold patents. I was like, I didn't even know you could sell a patent. But yeah, there's just so much more that we learn from it, right? It's very yeah. true. So if you've been doing this a little bit over five years, but obviously have a much more extensive business ownership background, yeah. I, I'm curious in how you're attracting the right clients, the people that really fit who you work best with and things like that. So what's that marketing process look like for you with Transworld? Okay, so on the sales side, um, I'm, a, I'm a machine gun type guy, right? I, I take a lot of shots. So, so I still do a lot of things that other brokers and business owners don't do. I do mailers, I do postcards, I do telemarketing. So I, I mean, telemarketing is really picked up. People say it's a dinosaur, but with COVID, 
business owners are trimming their, their staff. They're picking up the phone, guys. They're, they're answering the telephone. So if you're not telemarketing, I think that's something you should get back into. Also, we I look for companies with certain sizes, right? So you want a company that's looking to sell, you want it to have maybe five employees at least, just so there's some kind of team there. One-man teams are tough. Um, and then the size of it, as far as revenue, um, that's a different story. Because one thing, 90% uh, of the businesses in the United States value at a million dollars or less. But 90% of the business brokers hunt businesses over a million dollars value. They want bigger commissions, which I understand. Um, but I kind of like the fish where there's fish at, right? I like to catch a lot of fish. But that's kind of what I think drives me more toward what I'm doing in business brokerage a little bit different than everybody else. And when I market, so I market to that seller, when I go talk to him, the conversation's not him selling his business. It's more that, oh, how did you get started? How did you have your passion to start this business? Oh, well, I've been a business owner for 20 some years. So I understand that you, you've had 60, 70 day hours, I mean, hour weeks, and, and you go through these ups and downs and it's, and I, they relate with me. And I try to build that relationship with that client. So my marketing is not just, hey, you ready to sell? You ready to sell? It's like, let's have a cup of coffee and get to know each other because this is your baby and I'm not selling you a product. So you want to get to know me before I sell your million dollar company with your retirement and everything else wrapped up in it. I can't just give you a quick sales pitch. So it's all about the relationship and building that rapport with that business owner. So when I market it, I'm trying to market Greg Barnes, the family man, the, the you know, the business owner, not just, a, I'm not just looking for a quick buck. I'm, I can make it. I, I live very frugal. I have those conversations with them and build that relationship. And, and it takes longer time. My sales cycle's longer, but I'm not playing short ball. I'm playing long ball. Like I said, I'm in the game till, till, till the clock goes zero, right? So, so my marketing's a little bit different. No, that's, it, it makes sense. So, and it's one of those things where you hear a lot of times of do what the industry is not doing, right? Yeah, so some yeah. of the best poker players in the world say, you have to figure out if the table is tight or loose, aggressive or passive, and you got to do the opposite of that. Because if you're just doing the same as everybody else, you're going to get the same results as everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I think that's smart. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious too, Greg, with the, um, you know, uh, first of all, I like your street smarts of going where the puck is, you know, and going where the fish are. That's yeah, yeah. Your, your point. Cause a lot of the business brokers and then up into the investment bankers, they're going for the big, bigger prizes mm. or of them circling for bigger dollars. Right. Yeah. And, and to your point, there are more where you're at. You have to have more to hit the same sort of results. Um, what are some of the things that you're seeing in the marketplace, especially this, this year has been a crazy year. Yes. Um, what are you seeing that, um, is working and what's not working, um, in either the buyer side or the seller side? Okay. Okay. Well, I, I deal a lot more on the seller side because he has the asset, but we'll, I'll touch in on the, on the buyer side here in a second. Um, but on the seller side, 
But the first thing I'd like to point out is inventory. Just like in real estate, we have inventory and business brokers. So I got a report today that there's half as much inventory right now as there was this time last year. Wow. So there's half as many businesses for sale right now as there was last year. That's a big thing, but what does that mean in the marketplace? As a seller, that means if you're priced right, I could put you in front of maybe two or three different offers for your business because the buyers have a smaller pool, right? So the buyers automatically think, well, COVID's here. Oh, everybody's doing bad. I'm going to buy their business for pennies on the dollar. That's not the case because essential businesses have, strived, have really thrived during this time. Like I mentioned the commercial cleaning business. The guy's making more money than he's made in the 16 years he's owned the business. I got a home remodel business owner. He's making more money than he did in the 42 years he owned that business. He's made more money this year than any other year. So some of the businesses are really hot. So what I've learned is from a seller point right now, if you're looking to exit and you've had a good year, let's get that to market and I can put a couple of different offers on the table to you and you can pick you know you're selling your baby so you're not just taking the highest price for the business you want to make sure that the person coming in is going to take care of these customers you've been having for years like the 42 year business owner he's got clients that he built the house and the kid was running around and he's doing work on that kid's house now right or that kid's kid's house right so so they have a relationship there so with the, with the way it's set up right now with COVID, it's still a good market. But we just got to position yourself right and know the market, know the industry trends. For a buyer, it's still a good time for a buyer to buy because the banks are the banks are in a serious situation because of the PPP funds. Are they forgiving the PPP funds? Uh, so what we had been doing on those transactions is. If I'm selling that business and I haven't satisfied the PPP, um, uh, they're actually taking those funds and holding them in escrow. So if you got a hundred thousand in PPP funds, when we sell that company, the hundred thousand is held in escrow till you sell that up with the with the with the bank or however with PPP. Now, if you go ahead and take care of that with PPP and figure out if you get forgiveness or your payment plan or what's going on. When we sell the transaction, you complete it that way. But from a buyer standpoint, he's in a good position. Now, on a larger transaction, the banks have kind of tightened up the rams, right? Because they, they're, they're the ones that supplied a lot of these PPP funds. <laughs> so they're, they're leveraged too. So the banks, just like us, they're, they get leveraged the same way we get leveraged. If we leverage ourselves with different equipment or, or cars or house payments, and that lowers our funds to if somebody needed to loan somebody some money or help somebody, whatever, on a personal standpoint, it makes the same way. So as a buyer, you can leverage that because you can go to the seller. Okay, Mr. Seller, we can't get this finance, but how about we do a seller note? All right, Greg, I want to keep digging deeper because you're starting to get tactical, right? Which is perfect. So that way listeners and viewers can take this away and actually do something with it. So, so let's get a little bit more granular. Take us through what the negotiations of selling a business looks like. Oh, okay. Very interesting topic here though. There's not a blueprint to it, right? But I'm going to give you a quick overview. So the way it works is you come in, Mr. Buyer, you want to look at this business. 
I get you the NDA and the buyer profile. You qualify to buy the business. You have the financials. I set up a time for you to come meet with the seller and we'll tour the business. We'll dive into it a little bit deeper. Then you can do an offer agreement. And we usually have like a 30 day uh, due diligence period for you to really dive in and go through the tax returns and, and everything else. But you got to come up with an initial offer, which can move up or down during that 30 day period. So usually what happens is once they come to that agreement, the sellers usually sitting back like, okay, the due diligence ends and, and we're good to go. We're going to closing. That's how he's thinking. But as a buyer to be tactical, you want to be able to come back with something that even if it's an intangible negotiation. So I talk about intangible and tangible. So tangible is we know the, the, the property's worth this amount, or we know the, the valuation and the financials are here, and we can negotiate those. But I want to negotiate intangible assets if I'm the buyer. I'm going to want to negotiate about, hey, stay on for consulting for me for six months. How about we do an earn out? If this business hits the same numbers that you claim it hit last year, then I'll pay you the rest of this amount of funds. But you know, so you have to be real creative. Uh, so usually the offer come in, they'll agree on the offer. We'll go through due diligence. During due diligence, some things are going to arise, right? The seller's going to hide some things. It's going to it's going to happen. It's going to come up, and then we have to get back to the table. That's usually when the hard part comes in. When we're down to, you know, a week before due diligence ends, the buyer's pulling these things out. He's trying to renegotiate, but the seller's trying to hold on. But what I do is when I come in, I'll say, well, let's, okay, we're agreed on the number. You're kind of you're off in your relationship here. How can we make it better? Can, can he stay on consult for, for a while? Or can, can we hold some money at escrow for three months or six months until he helps you get the reins on this business. So that's the part of negotiations that, that I really help out with because it's not like buying a product or a car where you're just negotiating the price of the item. Right. And what are some of those biggest mistakes or most common mistakes that you see in the, those business sale negotiations? The most common mistake is somebody that's inexperienced with negotiating big ticket items, right? They, they think it's, they're at the store and they're trying to negotiate a dollar off of this or $2 off of that. It doesn't work like that. So that's one of the biggest mistakes. So if an inexperienced uh, business buyer tries to go at that alone, uh, uh, an experienced negotiator eat him up, right? He'll eat him up and he'll, he'll, he'll eat him up and speed it, spit him out. So that's one of the biggest mistakes I've, I've noticed is the kind of like when we went back to, we don't know, you don't know, get, get an advisor to help you with the negotiation process. And I think that's the key part where a lot of them make the mistake is the structure of the deal, you know, the structure of the deal. And we like to call it making the deal pencil, right? How does this look? And then, and then with your debt services coming in, how does that play out over the next two, three years, five years towards your goals? How long does it take to get your ROI back? So that's the part they're not looking at. They say, oh, I, well, I've got enough capital to put down my 20% for the loan. Okay, that's great. Do you have enough capital for working capital to get you through that hump? Are you, are you thinking about, you know, year one, year two, year three? Are you hitting those goals? Or are you just looking at, oh, this is a great business and he made a lot of money? Another thing is 
they'll buy a business just because of that. Because the PL looks great, this business is making a lot of money. I want to buy this business, but you're uh, you're it's it's not you don't have experience in that industry, right? You don't have um, the know-how or the knowledge, and you don't have the passion for it. The guy that owns it before you, he loved the business. He loves what he's doing. He's very passionate. He goes to trade shows. He he keeps up with the industry. You buy it, say, oh, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to negotiate this deal to buy this business, and it, the deal goes through. But what he, what really hurts you is that you're not passionate about it. You're just – you're going to try to put it on cruise control and in, and in entrepreneurship or business ownership, there is no cruise control. There is no cruise. Do not take your foot off the gas. So that's kind of one of the number one things I see issues with negotiating the common mistakes. They don't look past the closing date, right? So you're negotiating for however long you plan on the business. For me, I look at, I'm negotiating for a lifetime. I'm buying this business. What does it look like the next three, five, ten years? Not today. I'm not just buying it for today. That's the biggest mistake I see. So, Greg, you mentioned the importance of a team when you've got the business and you're running it. Yeah. And one of the things that you've seen, I've seen, I think Ben's seen too, is when you're buying a business, you also want a team around you. You better have a good finance partner, a.k.a. banker, yeah. You better have a good legal counsel, a.k.a. lawyer, that has done M&A transactions. Yeah. And the final thing is you better have a good CPA who actually has experience in M&A because not all CPAs are the same. Give us an example where you've seen, and without using any names, mm -hmm. you've seen somebody try to do the uh, Lone Ranger effect where the, I've got it, I got it, yeah. didn't work out so well. Oh, yes. Uh, I've had several incidents like that um, where even an attorney. So whenever you sit down with me, first thing I'm going to say is, do you have an attorney, not a divorce attorney? Not a, you're buying a business. You need a business attorney. And I've had people say, yeah, I've got an attorney. Just send me the documents. My attorney review it. My attorney will do this. I'm like, well, can I get your attorney's contact information? Well, I got my attorney. Don't worry about the attorney. I mean, and, and, and the part that I have to have is all the players at the table, right? So if I don't have an attorney, then I automatically send them a document saying that I advised them to get an attorney. They, they, they waived the counsel because I've not met them. So in my mind, they don't have an attorney. And they'll do that. And even with a CPA, have a CPA review the financials before you buy it. Have a CPA to review the financials. And a lot of times, like you said earlier, they'll have their tax guy right? That does taxes at the end of the year. We does my taxes. That's great. I mean, uh, TurboTax can do your taxes. <laughs> but, but, exactly. but this is a little more difficult, right? So you're absolutely spot on. I think you've got to have that team. You need a, you need your advisor. You need, you need, you need a, a CPA, you need an attorney. And then, and then it gets cluttered because then you're going to have personal advisors and then the seller's going to have the same, um, so you got this circle, and then that's the part we have to make that jail. So now you're, you're, you know, you're five on five. You're right. We're playing basketball, and uh, and I'm kind of the referee that makes sure the ball's in the right side of the court and keep pushing it back and forth. Um, but that's spot on, and I think you got to have the team to get started before and after. So you, we've 
talked on each side a little bit, right? Selling business, buying a business. And most of what you do is working with people selling the business. But, uh, but I want to ask on the buying side, on that flip side, somebody that's looking to buy a company, they've never owned a business before, but they know that they want to, right? Similar to you coming out of college, you, yeah. you knew that you wanted to do this. How do you help them narrow down to the right business for them to buy? It's all about passion, man. It's, I, I, I'm big on that. If you're, if you're passionate about what you do, so what I do is first thing I say is, what do you love to do, right? What do you love to do? Now, a lot of people say, I love to cook. I'm like, oh, don't buy a restaurant. <laughs> so, so, I mean, there is some, some ins and outs of that, but, but you want to have something that they're passionate about first, right? Um, you like to have something that they have some kind of industry experience in. Uh, you don't want them diving into an industry they have no experience in. And you want to, you'd love for them to have some kind of background too. Um, I was a car nut. I mean, that, that was one thing that led me into starting a tow truck business. Plus, my stepdad owned a trucking company, so it's always been around that. But but try to find something that that you just have that. I like to say unconscious. You don't have to have a. It's there. You know it. You know how to do it. It's. It's like swinging a golf club for a guy that's been playing golf forever, baseball bat. You want to help narrow that down. So first we'll look at what's your capital, what kind of financial capability you have. So if you have a financial capability, definitely look at buying an existing business first because you do have a track record. You have a client base. You have usually a website and a social media following and things that come with that company instead of start from scratch. But if you're first timer like I was then, you don't have that kind of capital. You have to run it on a shoestring. So you definitely want to be into something that you can do. And if nobody shows up, the business keeps running because you don't have the resources to have somebody to fit all the all the uh, roles that you need to cover. So you want to be able to something that you can multiplay in, and you can you can wear more than one hat. If you don't have the capital, if you have the capital, definitely. Go after an existing business with a, with a financial background. And also, don't forget franchises. I want you to, to think about that, especially the corporate American people that's coming out of corporate America. Uh, franchise offers the model and the, and the playbook um, and the process and, and everything's in place. And most of the time, people from corporate America, they've already been in processes and procedures. So it's a whole lot easier for them to adapt, even if it's not an industry that they're really strong in, they have the other uh, assets that they can bring into play. So, uh, sorry, Gary, I know you were about to say something. I, no, I, I've got another question that uh, you kind of tipped something off that, that I want to ask about. So what's that piece of advice that you'd share for somebody looking to become that business owner for the first time? Because you just threw a lot of things out, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and if you were to boil that down of, Hey, here's the, the most important piece of advice that I want somebody to take away from listening to this that hasn't owned a business before. Okay. Uh, man, the, the number one thing for me, I think is the work right? You got to enjoy the work. You, you, you have to, you have to really love the work if you're going to be your own business owner. Cause there's, um, I think the work is the key enjoying the work, um, and mental toughness. Uh, I, I think if you're, if you're not really mental tough and we, we've got a lot of, we got a lot of mental health issues in, 
in a, in our country right now. Um, if you're not mentally tough, owner, I, I I would tell you that's not the road to go. I mean, you you've got to have a mental toughness to understand no, 19 times to get one yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I agree with that. You know. Um, I love both your story and Ben's story because both of you guys were young when you started your businesses. Yeah. Ben was 19, you were 22. I did my first turnaround at 28, so I was the old guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you were the old I one of the group. A, a train wreck and had to turn it. So, um, but you you said something about you know even starting a business, and I've seen this even with people buying franchises where. If they, if they have to actually get the market moving for them, it takes a lot more effort and a lot longer, more time and more money than they ever bank on. Yes. And, and I've seen really capable people that were very smart, very um, uh, accomplished in corporate America buy even a, a small franchise that required them to get out and hustle and make it happen. And it wasn't because they couldn't hustle. They just may not have been very good at developing relationships outside of the corporate bubble. And I've seen more yeah. often than not that they crash and burn. Yeah. What would you say for anybody that is leaving corporate America and says, I really want to do this. How would they, you know, adapt and, and respond to, you said, have a passion for the work and yeah. get really honest about what do, what do I love to do? What do I not like doing mm -hmm. versus just trying to talk yourself into it? But then secondly, how can, is there a way or are there ways that they can kind of strengthen their mental toughness to be prepared for some of the unexpected waves that are going to come crashing across the bow? Yes, yes. Um, first thing I would recommend is uh, some sales training, right? So you're in corporate America, they're giving you the blueprint and the processes, but every business owner is a salesman. You've got to sell the business, you got to sell your idea, your passion. So I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make coming out of corporate America in their franchise. I think they need some sales training. Um, they need to pay for it, get sales training. I've had it. You've got to have sales training. So you're asking the right questions, even your demeanor, right? How you carry yourself when you walk in the room, you need that to, to get you over the hump. It's not just that I've got this amount of capital. This is the capital requirements and the franchise lawyer is going to buy to you. He's going to sell it to you. He's not going to tell you, but he's got the money to buy it, sell it to him. They're in the business of making money. Um, and then what we do at Transworld with our franchise consultant is I have a, a questionnaire that I give and I ask those points like, is sales a strength of yours? And if sales is not a strength of yours, let's try to look at a franchise that maybe is not as entrenched in sales, right? But it's still hard to find. About every business is about sales, but maybe we can find something where you can hire a sales agent to kind of help you with that process, but I totally agree with you. I think the biggest thing with them coming out of corporate America is the sales experience. They're, they're not in the sales or they're not in the networking and, and meeting new people. And, and that's a big part of entrepreneurship. Yeah. 
No, it's, that's important, right? That's extremely relevant that people need to be self-aware and know who do they need to surround themselves with? What type of training do they need? All that type of stuff. So I think that's great. So I, I know we're, we're getting to the end here and we're wrapping up. So before we talk about where to send people to, to check you out more, is there anything else you want to say? Any, any last tidbits or, or anything else before we sign off here? I just like to say thank you guys for having me on the show. I mean, I, I really appreciate it and have an opportunity to come on in and talk. And, and I, I'm real big on entrepreneurship. So if there's anybody out there that just wants to have a conversation and it's free consultations. I'm, I'm a giver, not a taker. So feel free to reach out to me. But yeah, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for coming on. And, and where can people go and find you? Where, where do you want them to go and check you out or check your business out? Uh, you can, yes, you can go to tworld.com forward slash Charlotte Downtown. Um, that's our website. And if you're looking at buying a business, we have a new uh, software tool. It's called the Buyer Match. If you go on the website, you can actually go into Buyer Match and you can put in what capital range, what industry, what geographical location, just like looking for a car. And it'll spit out what businesses we have in Transworld that fit your criteria. And if one comes available, we'll actually ping you with any new new business that come available. So it's a great tool if you just want to gain more knowledge and play around and see what's on the market. And, and there's no strings attached to that. It's just um, something you can check out and see what's out there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Greg. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I can just vouch for Greg. He is a giver. He's not just speaking that. It is a heartbeat of his. So um, if you are looking, and even if you're not, and you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you want to have a cup of coffee with a really interesting guy that's got a great heart, schedule some time with Greg Barnes. You can find him on LinkedIn and, and the website that he just said. So, Greg, thank you again. Ben, you're awesome. Thank you. You guys have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Thank you guys. I'll take care. You too.